Hi guys, and welcome to the first episode of Let's Talk About It. So I want to go ahead and give a disclaimer that I'm not a licensed therapist and I'm only speaking from research and personal experiences slash my opinion. So this episode is going to be about family, what family is, uh, some situations that can cause anxiety and depression within the family, and some tips on how to help in those situations, how to, you know, try and get to a place where there's at least a little bit less anxiety and depression caused. So, let's go ahead and define family. What is family? I've always thought that family is very spiritual and metaphorical rather than relatives, which is very materialistic and, you know, based on blood. But I think that family is who you make it and who you really truly feel that is there for you. But let's go ahead and get some actual definitions. Uh, Cambridge Dictionary says that family is defined as a group of people who are related to each other, such as a mother, a father, and their children. Urban Dictionary, which is my favorite definition, says that family is a group of people, usually of the same blood, but doesn't have to be, who genuinely love, trust, care about, and look out for each other. Not to be mistaken with relatives sharing the same household who hate each other. Real family is a bondage that cannot be broken by any means. I've said before that I always make my family who I want them to be, or I try to, but you know, sometimes in families there are expectations that are very strong. Like, it's just like a friend group where if you have this one person that all your friends love but you hate, but you feel like you have to like them because they all like them. It's the same thing in family. So it's really hard to, you know, go against the grain and make those leave those people out of your life if everybody else wants them in their life. So I'm gonna give some, you know, examples of what I mean when there's a difference between relatives and family. So like I have some great uncles who are not like great uncles, but they're great uncles uh that I really don't consider my family they're crazy but it's crazy they're crazy funny but I've never talked to them very much and they live far away so I don't have any connection to them so I don't see them as family I do see them as relatives but not family but my friends that I've been with for a very long time that we spent years together with and have been with me through thick and thin, listen to me, and overall just help me progress in life, I feel like they are my family. But I do have family, you know, that I really do care about and that I don't just see as relatives. Which, like, for example, my grandmother, who I think we both have a very deep connection with each other, and it's more than, you know, uh, relatives. A relative connection. I think it's a familial bond that we share. So, here are some situations that I'm going to outline in this episode that can cause anxiety and depression for adults and children. 
we're going to go ahead and focus on three uh, situations that I came up with, which are the first is going to be parental expectations. The second is going to be siblings. And the third is going to be bills slash debt. So let's go ahead and jump into the first topic, which is parental expectations. So parental expectations can affect both adults and children, but I think it mainly, not mainly, I think it is oriented more towards children, in the, at least in this episode. So we're going to uh, look at the article, uh, Parental Expectations versus a Child Self-Image by Daryl E. Owens from the Orlando Sentinel. And let's go ahead and jump into it. So, when you are being punished, although... So, I think a lot of children feel this way in households. And you probably have experienced it before. I know I've experienced this, but if you haven't, it's okay. Uh, you have been punished uh, for maybe not making a grade that you were supposed to make. Or maybe you didn't clean your room or something, but you usually do, but you just didn't. And you know you're a good kid, but you're still being punished. And you see these other people, these other kids that are never, you know, doing what their parents say or are always rebelling. And they get treated like, you know, kings, like nothing's wrong with them, like they're golden children. And you feel like, you know, you should be appreciated more than these people. And you don't understand why you're getting punished. Well, this actually has a name, and it's called Entitlement Syndrome. I, I really don't like Entitlement Syndrome because it makes it, I don't know, it sounds so kind of rude, I guess. But it, the definition makes sense. So, Entitlement Syndrome is when the behavior may look like one thing, but the child is trying to tell something else. When the rebellion is a little bit more than the parents expect, the possibility is that the children are feeling they are entitled to a little more praise, attention, and other rewards than they're getting for their efforts. So it's pretty much when children rebel for a reason, mostly because they aren't being praised and they aren't getting the attention that they deserve for you know their efforts. I've definitely experienced this before, as I have previously stated, um, just because. A lot of parents have high expectations of their children, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you know, you always want your kids to do well. You always want them to do their best. But sometimes the expectations get so high that they don't allow any room for error. And to err is human. So, you know, if you restrict a child so much that you don't give them room to make errors or you don't give them the attention and the kindness that, you know, they need, then of course a child is going to rebel and they're going to seek out that attention if you do not freely give it to them. It's I think of it a lot like a bird in a cage. You need to let the bird out, you know, sometimes. So I want to go ahead and say that in case parents are listening, I would just go ahead and talk with your child about their feelings. Ask them if they're feeling ignored and unappreciated. 
regular family meetings help place feelings in, into perspective. Also, just talking with other parents, I think um, the family meetings really do help the parents um, evaluate their own behavior. So, like, by that, I mean mom and dad may come to realize that although Sally earns mostly A's on her report card, they're asking what are the B's about? And that's really nothing that's not a big, you know deal, because the child is still passing and they're doing wonderful uh, and one B isn't a big deal. So parents learn to minimize the small stuff and more regularly praise the children who are striving to meet their expectations. And when you praise a child for doing something that you asked of them, <clears throat> even if it's small, it always helps their self-esteem. So <clears throat> parental expectations can cause anxiety and depression for any child if they feel that they are not being appreciated. So the main thing is just talk it out. Let both sides know your feelings. If you don't think you can talk to your parents about this or that they are not the type to listen or your kid won't listen to you or they're just too far gone, then, I mean, just always try. It's better to try and try and try than never try at all, you know, because... I mean, you never know. They might actually listen and they might learn something out of it. Even if, you know, they don't, at least you did your best. So I know that was kind of a short section, but we'll go ahead and move on to the next one. The next situation, which is siblings. So siblings can, you know, be good, can be bad, and they can be both. I have a sibling, I have an older sister, and I personally have a love-hate relationship with her. Uh, you can see throughout history, uh, sibling, sibling rivalry and problems with siblings uh, in Christianity and, and multiple religious texts like, uh, in Christianity, we'll go ahead and use that example. You can see it with Cain and Abel, Joseph and his brothers, you know, East, etc. So, we'll go ahead and talk about this article that I read called The Third Rail of Family Systems, Sibling Relationships, Mental and Behavioral Health, and Preventative in Intervention in Childhood and Adolescence. This is by a couple of authors, so instead of just listing them all out and, you know, just making a lot of time go by, I'll post the um, link to the article in the uh, episode comments, you know, or the episode description. So, we'll go ahead and talk about it. Let's talk about social comparison theory. So, this is when people evaluate themselves based on comparisons with others, especially those who are physically close and similar to, similar to themselves, which siblings are. So, it's when you compare yourself to your siblings, pretty much. Or, compare yourself to someone close to you. Um, then, there is parental differential treatment. Or, parental differential treatment. Oof. Um, so, although Western social norms 
call for equal treatment of offspring. Most parents recognize differences between their children in behavior, personality, and needs, and often cite children's personal characteristics as motivation for treating their offspring differently. So that's what parental differential treatment is. Um, I would say that, you know, treating your kids different uh, according to their needs isn't bad, but it, when it gets to the point that you are, I don't know, you are pointing out one of their flaws and you comparing it to the other sibling or you're pointing out something in one sibling that can be compared to the other, I think it gets to the point where it can hurt a child's self-esteem. For example, um, if one child isn't good at math, but the other one is, then then you go and tell the one that isn't math, isn't good at math, isn't math, what? But the one that isn't good at math, that, you know, they need to try harder and look at their sibling who's doing so well, you know. You really aren't taking into account the uniqueness of the first one, and that can hurt their self-esteem and make them feel, you know, less than, even though they're not. So, an important line of study reveals the role of context in PDD, PDT, sorry, PDD. Um, for instance, some findings suggest stronger negative effects for girls than for boys, and for older than for younger siblings. That makes sense, just because um, girls, you know, hormones are insane, and the estrogen and the puberty mixing is just crazy. Um, and, you know, for younger siblings, you know, the social comparison theory, I think, is in full swing because they grow up beside, you know, their older siblings and they see how they do in life and they base themselves off of how their older siblings do. And if they don't fall into the same mold as their older siblings, then they see themselves as less than. I hope that made sense. So, given the stress of sibling conflict on parents, and the consequent undermining of positive parenting, parents should be introduced to effective ways to manage sibling disputes and ongoing sibling tensions. Parents should also be aware of the impact of their own harsh parenting and conflict with a partner on sibling relationships. So as I interpret this, uh, it kind of confuses me, but I'm going to interpret it as best as I can. So pretty much, Sibling conflict stresses parents, and sibling conflict, you know, can, you know, just stress the parents out and make them not think straight, and it kind of, you know, when you can't think straight, you really can't be equal to your children, so if your children are fighting mm, about something dumb, then you're not really thinking about what you say, and so you say something that might hurt one of them or might hurt both of them. Um, in order to avoid this, you should parents should be introduced to effective ways to manage sibling disputes like therapy, I think counseling, maybe some parenting classes, going online, researching, you know, um, and uh, manage ongoing sibling tensions because, you know, fighting can last longer than just one time. But uh, parents should, not only should they research that, but they should be aware of the impact of, you know, their harsh parenting, like how hard they are on their kids and the expectations as we first, you know, introduced 
They should be aware of the expectations they place on their kids. And if you disagree with a partner on how to, you know, parent your kids and you bring that stress into the home as well, then that could affect, you know, sibling relationships and, you know, the whole tranquility of the household. So from this section, I would say the two biggest things to take away is uh, self-acceptance and parents need to be aware of what they say. So self-acceptance in the way that anxiety and depression come from, you know, uh, the stress of the of sibling relationships and feeling like you were less than and feeling as if, you know, the that one a parent may favor, you know, your sibling compared to you, but it takes a lot to accept yourself as you are and accept that you are your own person and you are unique and you can't compare yourself to anyone because you're you. So accepting your strengths, your weaknesses, and that, you know, you are the best you you can be and you don't need to impress anyone except yourself. But as I said, that's really hard to come by. So when you're growing up, just by having parents aware of what they're saying and aware of the different needs of the children and what they should, you know, I mean, you know, parents being aware just of what they say, just knowing the strengths and weaknesses of each child and know that each child is unique. I think can contribute to the overall mental and emotional health of, you know, the children, which leads them to better accept themselves. That was a whole long dissertation. So (laughs) let's move on to our last topic. It's been a bit already, so I guess y'all are ready for it to end, but We'll move on to the last topic, which is bills slash debt. I think we're mostly going to be focusing on the debt in this section, but, you know, bills and debt kind of go hand in hand. Um, bills and debt can affect all ages. Uh, the last two topics we covered, really, I mean, it was more oriented, I guess, or I oriented it more towards the youth aspect of it, and... You know, I guess really in your youth, you need to be taught how, you know, to deal with things because as an adult, you're done being, you know, taught the ways of the world and you need to use that experience. So I guess that's why it's more towards kids, but bills and debt really affects all ages. It can affect children because debt can cause financial hardship for the family, so... Uh, if your parents are in debt, then you might not be eating as well as if they were financially stable, or you might not be able to have the same things that others have if your parents are financially stable. You, you experience, everyone experiences the financial hardship. Um, college students experience it because they have to take out loans to pay their college debts. And they can, you know, see the debt accumulate and accumulate and they can't do anything about it because they're going to college to try and pay off that loan, but it'll take a long time. 
then, you know, those college students turn into adults who have to pay back their college debts. But adults also have to worry about taking on debt in order to get housing, in order to get cars. And they also have to worry about the big one, credit cards. So, bills and debt with a focus on credit cards. <laughs> Uh, I can understand why people get credit cards, but honestly, no one should get them because they are Satan spawn. So, you know, I would just steer clear of them if you can. We're going to be focusing on this section on the article Age, Debt, and Anxiety by Drencha Patricia. I think I said her last name right. Drentia. I don't know. I say I said it my best. I hope I didn't botch it. <laughs> um, but this is in the Journal of Health and Social Behavior. So let's get into it. Anxiety is more common among younger adults, in part due to economic hardship experienced in young adulthood. The early adult years of the life cycle are a challenging time in which most men and women have many job and family responsibilities and transitions. Young adults typically have not reached their earning potential, but frequently are supporting children as they establish households and families. Therefore, one reason for higher levels of anxiety in young adulthood may be due to the amount of debt they incur. So that was a whole lot I said, so let me try and break it down a little bit. Um, anxiety is more common in younger adults. I would say as younger adults, I would say probably about 18, 19, 20 because this is usually the age you're going to college or you're getting married it's you're legally an adult but you're still you know not old enough to have had a job for a long time and have a you know base have a really stable job you haven't been working anywhere more than you know Taco Bell or something but at 18 19 and 20 you're starting to get married you're starting to have you know some kids I know a lot of people and I'm sure you do too who have had kids at like 15 but you know they wait and they get married at 18 and they have kids at 19 and but they're still not at their earning potential so they aren't making enough to support their family um, or support their children so they have to take out loans and they have to rack up debt in order to meet the you know earning potential in order to sustain their family that's pretty much it so you know the anxiety and having to incur that debt in order to um, better take care of your family or meet that potential is really a um, big part in this one understudied area of financial status is credit cards credit card debt is growing rapidly in the United States and deserves consideration I'm gonna go ahead and say that this I think this article is kind of older I think it's made in 2000 but um, it really does apply to us because it is more about rapid consumer goods being created and credit cards being accumulated because of it and I think a lot of us you know have at one point or another considered getting a credit card or 
want a credit card or have a credit card. So I think it's still prevalent. Um, the percentage of families who have a credit card has increased from 55.8% to 66.4% from 1989 to 1995. In addition, credit card spending has increased more than three-fold from $243 billion in 1990 to projected, or not a projected anymore, but to $891 billion in the year 2000. Dang, that is a lot. So, debt acquired for either student loans, a home, or car may also be a chronic strain on an individual's financial well-being and ultimately emotional well-being, even though they are considered necessary to most Americans. So you acquire all this debt and... For what? No. (laughs) But you acquire this debt even though you need it, and it puts a real big strain on you emotionally and financially, but you needed it, so you really don't have a choice. And so as we said before, Credit card debt is growing in the United States as well as in other developed nations. Younger cohorts are more susceptible to credit card debt for three reasons. This article had like seven reasons, but uh, because of time constraints and, you know, just simplicity, I put it down to three that I think are very important. So, credit card companies have begun to concentrate much of their marketing to high school and college students. Increased marketing to young persons ensures that they begin their adult life with credit cards. Consumers are therefore taught early on to use and rely on credit cards. So at a young age, credit card companies are pretty much grooming us to get a credit card. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's pretty, that's their whole model, so we can't really blame them. But what they're doing is they're trying to get us, you know, ready for all this debt that we have to take on that is pretty much unnecessary unless you know you start a family really early as we were talking about again but without a parent or anything to discuss with you the dangers of credit cards and exactly what it entails then you could just get one and spend all the money and be in more debt than you could have ever imagined so reason number two as mentioned before early adulthood is the stage in life in which there's a great material acquisition as individuals build their lives. Housing and transportation costs become necessary as they leave their parents' home. Frequently, young people accumulate consumer goods, although they typically do not have enough earnings so early in life. Many begin families as well, and therefore must pay for the added expenses of the grown family. So there's really two factors in this, which is young people see all these consumer goods that are coming out and they want them and you see the credit card which is pretty much advertised from the credit card companies as free money or like you know you get all this money and you only have to pay back a little bit of a return you know which is like oh wow that sounds great but it's not that at all and the second factor is you know you're starting a family young and you don't have the money to support them because you're not at your earning potential yet so you get a credit card to try and help shoulder the debt, but it ended, it ends up, you know, adding debt for the growing family and adding, you know, future debt. So it's a temporary fix on a long-term problem. The, then there is the third reason. 
The increased usage and spending of credit cards are related to increased consumption in the last half century in modern society. Younger adults may disproportionately be involved in consumption practices, especially as compared to those born in a less economically expensive era such as the Great Depression. So pretty much, I don't think this is like really a reason, but I think it's really interesting that the last half century, because there is so much, you know, more goods coming out, more services coming out, then there's more expenses coming up and, you know, like cars and air conditioning and electricity and, uh, air con- you know, like all those things that wasn't really necessary a long time ago, but have been popping up because of the advances of technology, you know, credit cards are becoming more frequently used to, because of this in usage and spending. So, you know, compared to those born in a very stagnant era like the Great Depression, it's especially astounding, I think. So, using credit cards as another measure of socioeconomic status is another way of tapping into one's financial well-being, because at times people use credit cards as a way of purchasing goods and services they could otherwise not afford. In addition, it may be a more sensitive barometer of financial well-being than income because it may tap into a more long-term deprivation. Sorry. Families often use credit cards during financial, difficult financial times so that while income is measured at one time point, credit card debt has likely accumulated over time. So, that sounds like a lot and it was a lot to, um, it was a lot to read, my gosh. But I'll try to break it down as best as I can. So, you know, you might not think it, but... I mean, you might probably think it, but... Credit card debt goes into your economic status. And... It can serve to help your financial well-being because of your, you know... Credit rating. But... A lot of times... People use credit cards as a way of purchasing goods and services they couldn't afford, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but when it's a bad thing when you go overboard and you spend all the money you have and, you know, you know what they say about credit cards, you're supposed to buy gum or something with it to help your credit, but if you go ahead and use it like free money, then you get all that debt and for what, you know, what in return, and you can't pay back the debt in time, so it hurts your credit score. So, it actually might be a better way of um, gauging your financial well-being than your income is, because it taps into a long-term usage. So, you know, if you're going through a hard time and you get a credit card, it shows more than just your income. But I've experienced, you know, using a credit card during difficult financial times, which is pretty much why it's a sensitive barometer of financial well-being, because you use it during hard times. But, um, you know, I've experienced having to use it during difficult financial times, and while income is measured at one time point, credit card debt accumulates over time, so you get all that extra experience 
So let's go ahead and say credit card debt can be associated with both short-term and long-term financial difficulties. Having a lot of credit card debt may be indicative of a financial crisis, such as one who experiences job loss and has no income or savings. In such cases, families may charge basic necessities from food, medicine, clothing, and shelter to school tuition on their credit cards. Since credit card debt accumulates over time and interest is generally high, it is indicative of extended financial hardship. I guess that's a big way of how banks and stuff, that's real science banks and stuff, but of how banks, you know, see how you have been doing based on your credit score. Because if you haven't been able to pay the credit card debt and you used it at a certain point in time because you lost your job or you don't have any income or savings, you know, then it shows what you've been doing and how you've been having a hard time, how you've been dealing with it. And I've definitely had to charge basic necessities to credit cards. So I guess that's very indicative of your socioeconomic status, but since the debt accumulates over time and the interest is high, it may also just extend financial hardship where it could have just ended, you know, so it might, it'll probably be more harm than good, let's just say. Uh, Additionally, the stress of owing money may lead to increased anxiety. Not having enough cash on hand to pay for goods and services, paying high interest rates, and paying monthly bills adds to an individual's everyday stress. So, like, of course you're going to be stressed if you have all of this debt and you owe all this money and you don't even have enough cash to pay for goods and services. You have to rely on a credit card or something. Of course that's going to increase your anxiety and stress, you know. I mean, I don't know anybody who wouldn't be stressed of that situation. I certainly would be. Yeah. Another big thing is collection agencies. Ugh, those people are scary. So the purpose of the collection agencies is to recover the debt. They use tactics including threatening letters and calling at home or work, while consumer interest groups as well as the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act in the United States have tried to limit, you know, collection agencies harassment, the illegal tactics they use to collect from those in default do still occur. In addition, unfair collection tactics are more likely to happen among disadvantaged groups who are less likely to know and exercise their rights. So pretty much these collection agencies are just really, really scummy. And they will just harass you constantly, calling you all the time, and, you know, just making your life just really difficult, which leads to greater anxiety and stress and you know they just keep doing this even though they're not supposed to and if you you know really don't have any money or you're going through a really hard time and you really can't you know you're just disadvantaged then they'll take advantage of you more because you're less likely to know or exercise, you know, your rights as they just previously said. So I would go ahead and if you are in debt 
and you know you need help I would look online or I would go to you know counseling on tips or how to stay away from or limit credit cards you know like I said before some tips are you know just spend a little bit on credit cards uh, you can still accumulate good credit without a credit card uh, it's just you know buying things like a uh, big things like a house or a car but it takes a longer time so I'll go ahead and post in the episode description 10 ways to avoid credit card debt by Latoya Irby from the website The Balance. Um, I would refer to this website, like I said, if you're in a great amount of debt. And then, like, you know, read it and then start lessening credit card use. Um, I'll post some more websites that you can refer to for tips just because this is a really big deal. So, that's the end. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we made it. Um, it's the end of the first episode. Woohoo! We've done it. If y'all think there are any topics that I missed or you really enjoyed, then please comment. Let me know. Um, I always appreciate you listening, even if it's not that good. I'm really sorry. I tried. Hopefully, with the next one, it will be better. But you know, just comment what you think and. So I think it's best that I start by introducing myself. My name is Candace Costin. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, which means I am a behavior therapist. To add clarification to that, I'm the type of person you would go to to talk to, to do that talk therapy. Um, usually people think of someone reclined on a couch um, rambling on and say, well, do you get me, Doc? Um, kind of things. Well, there is more to it than that. But today I am going to speak on depression and anxiety and how it relates to a family. I do have certifications in substance abuse, post-traumatic stress disorder, family relations, military family dynamics and geriatrics so I'm going to be relating all my populations I have worked with with regards to depression and anxiety so what can make people depressed or anxious when dealing with their family well a lot of it can be based on the dysfunctional family roles which are, you know, you have the hero, the placator, scapegoat, lost child, and the mascot. So with these dysfunctional family roles can create unclear or unrealistic expectations, can lead to poor communications, and other aspects of depression and anxiety that can come into play with family members can be any trauma or conflict, seeking validation outside of oneself, and comparing self to others. This can happen a lot with the dysfunctional family roles 
the hero is the one that does everything perfectly there's no issues society sees that one as the golden child the one who does well in school participate in sports the family never have any problems with and on the other end of the spectrum you have the scapegoat the black sheep of the family um, willfully ignores what the family wants does not try to impress anyone uh, may also experiment with drugs or other illegal acts and pretty much is the one that gives the family the most grief is usually what it's thought of when you think of the scapegoat the mascot is the one who tries to distract from the chaos or the dysfunction in the family they may also be the one to get attention kind of laugh things off or have us a way of bringing focus to themselves so the dysfunction is never truly looked at by outsiders the lost child is the one who's in the middle that's a child that just gets by doesn't excel in school but it's not dreadful in school and they have a hard time socializing kind of isolated and they don't really get the attention from the parents because they're not doing well enough to get the praise but they're not doing poor enough where interventions have to be done trauma or conflict can take different forms within a family the psychological physical sexual and I've had experience with that when I was working with my adolescent clients and a few of my adults but with my adults I saw a lot of substance abuse with them when I mean seeking validation outside of oneself this is someone who strives to be what those around them want them to be and is constantly changing themselves to fit their environment that can be in the family setting that can also be with peers and oftentimes if it's with peers and it's going against what the family is wanting or what the family is advocating for then that can cause some stress and anxiety between the child the family and also the peers comparing self to others this can happen within a family well you let so-and-so do it or if I was so-and-so you wouldn't have grounded me things of that nature may come up uh, another question is how can how does anxiety and stress in family situations differ from parent and child uh, with looking at that that's how stress can be perceived by on the child's end as well as the parents where we can go back to those dynamics between the family and peers conflicting peers are not going to school drinking smoking what have you and 
that would cause the parent to have to go out to the scoop, more parent teacher conferences. Um, there might be some juvenile justice issues that come into play, which means the parent is missing days from their job, which impacts the income of the home, which increases the financial burden on the parents. And also, it also breaks down that family and child dynamic of the child situations are causing the parent to lose sleep, losing hours with their job, losing money. So that's impacting the job performance, which is impacting financial security. And financial security is what pays for the bills, the food, and all of that. And it's also taken away from the time that the parent may have to themselves, which is also an issue. And that can cause stress with the children. Once they get to a certain age in their development, they are becoming their own individuals. And a lot of times that can cause anxiety and stress because the parent is used to the child engaging with them in a certain way, responding a certain way. And then suddenly the child is no longer doing that because the child is becoming an adult. So they are getting ideas for themselves. They are thinking for themselves. They are doing things because they want to do them or they want to see what they are like. So they're no longer fitting into the box that their parents have made for them. And that does cause the parents to find a way to adjust and change their role in their child's life, which causes quite a bit of conflict, especially when they are competing with peers who are the more favored people to be around at a particular age. I would not say that a lot of patients have problems with their family. I would say if they don't have that communication, if they are trying to force each other into certain boxes, For example, even a child could want to put their parent in a box. Well, so-and-so's mom lets her do this, or why are you always on my case? That's why I can't have anybody over here at the house because you like this. So that can cause problems, once again, that comparison, not having that clear communication, or just having... A sort of blaming or talking at someone instead of actually sitting down and having a conversation with them because your tone and even the way you can say things can totally change your conversation. People do not realize that not until there's some pushback. For example, uh, in therapy, I never ask why questions because immediately when you ask why, you are demanding for someone to explain themselves to you, which in a lot of cases makes them go on the defensive 
or they shut completely down. So I have done some family therapy before and there are problems, but usually the problems are not what you think they are. Um, I had a client before who was very antagonistic to his father, would berate his father and all of that. But once I actually started having sessions with him and speaking with him, I realized a lot of his life goals were accomplishments that his father already had. So, turns out his father was thinking, oh, my kid doesn't like me. But it turns out the kid was actually looking up to his father and just struggling with his actions and where he was in his life and how vastly different that was to what he wanted. Okay, um, depressive situations with families. Okay, let's see. I had to use some of my geriatric cases to go along with that. I've had I have patients who have severe medical conditions which is something that can impact who they are and their perceptions of themselves. Uh, patients who are used to being very independent as far as what they have to do, walk, even their walking mobility, being safe at home, driving, and then they have this medical di- condition, let's say a heart attack, stroke, and then suddenly that independence, that ability to make their own decisions and do for themselves, significantly qu- compromised. And now the child is in the position of having to make decisions that goes against what the parent is wanting because the parent has been independent all their life. Like, oh, no, I don't need to go get anywhere to get physical therapy. I'm going back home. But at the same time, this is a parent who is no longer able to walk on their own or support themselves at home alone. It's no longer safe. Um, also, uh, some anxiety between families within the military, with military personnel constantly being deployed or training or being away from home. The family, the core family that remains at home has this whole system set up. They have a way of doing things. Let's say the oldest child is the one that does the meals before. Everybody gets their own clothes together. Uh, And the parent that remains at home, they have their own responsibilities. Yet when that, that military family member returns, having to kind of wedge in that system that has been in place for many years can be an issue and then also if that family member has PTSD with that that comes the insomnia the lack of sleeping mood swings the hypervigilance 
which also causes a great deal of anxiety because the brain is constantly going. There is no rest breaks, which can also be stressful to the family because the family doesn't know what to anticipate because the family has never been in a situation where hypervigilance was needed, which with a military family member, they have been in numerous situations and for prolonged periods of time. So that can be an issue and also create stress and a pulling apart of the family. And I've known some families to actually dissolve once that military family member is at home permanently because they are unable or do not have the supports to become integrated again. So that's how that can become an issue. Um, I can say I have some personal experience with anxiety and depression in my family. My maternal grandfather had vascular dementia. So I was constantly hypervigilant with him because he was impulsive and had to have that 24-7 supervision just so he would be safe at home. And he was a man who was fiercely independent, business owner, did everything his own way for over 80 years of his life and then suddenly to be in a position where your actions have to be moderated by someone that you help raise um yeah that can definitely cause some issues and with him it did cause a lot of depression especially in the beginning with the vascular dementia and then he had to have uh, an above knee amputation and he one of the first comments he made to me afterwards I don't feel like a man anymore he literally could not think of anything that he could do with an above knee amputation because he had never been in that situation and he did not have any hope so for months I had to find different things for him to do to help him reestablish himself to create a new identity and this identity had to be one that could accommodate his new limitations so that caused me a lot of anxiety because I'm struggling to find something to give him purpose so he wouldn't just give up and die and so trying to do that being hypervigilant, having to keep a schedule, a daily schedule for him because with vascular dementia or any other cognitive impairment, having a schedule lessen the symptoms. So having every week, every day, having a schedule of we're going to do this for a few hours and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. So that way he will have a clear expectation Oh, what is he? What is he gonna do? What days he's doing his chores? Um, 
um, what his chores are going to be that day just so he would have that routine and also that helped a lot with his feelings of depression he started going out more and doing things and he actually started becoming satisfied with his life again uh, tips for adults and children or how to deal with anxiety and depression within the family well you can list your concerns make sub goals they always say the best thing to do is break everything down don't look at this huge mountain that you have to climb and defeat and be, have victory over breaking down into smaller steps before you even start climbing that mountain you have to have that idea I'm going to climb a mountain and you can if you have been basically doing video games and just walking around your school or walking around your job and, and, and going out to drink afterwards your body and your mind is not ready to go for that mountain okay you have to get the right clothing you have to get the right gear you had to do research of, okay, where am I going to climb? What would be the best route? Well, now I can go for that huge one right now. Why is something more in my reach? So just looking at things that are more in your reach that are easier to accomplish helps greatly. And also, just the way you communicate. Just... Go ahead and communicate that you have that anxiety, that depression, instead of just handling it on your own. Actually reaching out to some other people for that support. And I know it's difficult because with anxiety and depression, the tendency is to isolate and to hide it. So just finding at least that one person that you're comfortable with or finding some other way to express yourself. Some people can do that creatively, but find some way not to internalize it would be great. Also doing positive affirmations, especially if you're depressed. It's difficult to think of things that you are happy about regarding yourself or any positive things about you. And usually when I have a depressed patient, I start them off with, Tell me one positive thing about you. Uh, it's okay. Even if it's just something someone said. Tell me what it is. And then give me some reasons. That cause that individual to say that. You know. Give me some supporting sentences to it. And also there is con- cognitive behavior therapy. When you look at a thought. And you take it apart. By finding evidence to support it evidence against it also throwing in some other examples when that thought was not true so those are different things you can do and for family and if a family member induces a great amount of anxiety or depression for a child or adult and they're in that bad situation what to do to get out of it okay there is 
I always tell people you cannot control the actions of someone else. You can only control your response to it. And then there are some people, we call them button pushers, that know you're going to respond in a particular way and they want that response for you. So they keep slamming that button. But if you change that response, then they can slam that button all they want. They would no longer have that desired impact. So eventually they're going to stop. They might take up another way to irritate you. But you just had to keep building these obstacles for them to get that desired outcome. So you can start um, doing some behavior therapy for yourself or find some other ways for stress management. Find a neutral place for you and that family member to talk if they're willing to talk. And just know that a lot of times they're not going to be willing to talk because they may not even see it as an issue because you're the one that's having that experiencing that negative consequence. So just find ways to kind to buffer between you and that individual is the best. Now, if you're truly in a dangerous situation where there's any physical, emotional, or sexual harm, definitely go to the police with it. But even with that, just to keep you from getting in a negative headspace, you would still need to have you know, some coping strategies, find some positive supports. It can be friends, it can be family members, it can be a support group, it can be a behavior therapist, a coach, sporting events, any extracurricular activities. Just get out and get away so you can have that breathing room so it's not something that constantly builds up. And that's true for adults and children. You, the best thing I know is to have that support. That, that someone that you don't have to tell them your problems. You can just say, talk to me. And it can be the most random thing imaginable. But that is helpful. Um, some ways that family can bond and create a good environment. Just communicate, address issues quickly instead of letting them fester. Finding positive things to do at home, out into the community. And we always said, um, catch somebody being good. So praise, express thanks for positive behaviors. That's for adults and children. If you have a parent that comes out to your game, you know, you can say, hey, thanks for coming out. Did you see? And then just start talking about them. Support each other emotionally. That's always good. And if you're in an intense situation um, with a family member, walk away. You don't have to address it right then. You guys can have a plan of if I feel threatened or I feel like things are about to go in a bad direction, this is what the plan would be. Because sometimes you need to have that come together and plan things out. So that way, everyone would know the rules of engagement. It's very good to have this good home environment, both for the adults and children. 
because it equals the balance between the spirit, mind, and the body. You don't want to have a situation that causes chaos, stress, anxiety, but that is something that can have physical ramifications. Not just talking about like conversion disorder that can like the when the mental, emotional, so much it takes on physical signs. But it is scientifically proven that stress causes health issues. Top one being cardiac arrest, ulcers. Um, So just be mindful of that. And with depression, it's not someone always acting sad. It can be someone isolating, not enjoying things, feeling numb. Not feeling involved, feeling separated. So to keep on what a lesson the chances of that happening, just being mindful and having this good home environment. So if any of those feelings start coming up, any of those negative feelings, it is hoped that your home can be a place of refuge and the people inside that home can be a support. Well, that's all for me for today. Thank you all.